Hey everyone, welcome back to Flywheel Pod. The flywheel keeps on spinning, and this week we have on Mr. Drake Evans, one of the core team members of Frax, who has been focusing a lot of his time and energy on building Fraxland. And wow, this was a two hours of just pure, honestly, good discussion, good conversation, and good vibes. It was just wholesome, dude. Like I just it was wholesome. <laughs> yeah, we just got to know the guy, and he just chatted about it. And I loved how he went from a biomed to finance and then to software dude's a polymath and then he just shows up in frax yeah. and starts building up you know frax and all the other products as well that was a really really good session yeah dude truly an auto dialect is that the word i'm looking for like the person that can like teach himself a lot of things and i think that's a characteristic of a lot of people on the frax team just a lot of self-starters and like you know it he was the first person we had on other than sam that's from the Frax team, that's a Frax core team dev. Um, and they haven't really been out. In, I mean, they're out in public. You can like come find them, but they're like not as well known. And I'm happy we got a chance yeah. to highlight them because they're doing a lot of like the day in, day in out, day out grunt work to make Frax, you know, a lot of stuff in Frax possible. And I think that stuck out to me is like how much he uh, communicated the Frax ethos of, uh, you know, a hundred percent on chain maximalism. Um, building these public goods, these public primitives, because not just for us, but for anyone to use and enjoy. And, uh, you know, keeping to the ethos of decentralization. And I think that says a lot. And I think having those kind of aligned values is both healthy for the protocol, like long term and healthy for the protocol, even in like these times. You know what I mean? And I think I think in in this pod, like, we covered things from obviously how Fraxland works and we went pretty deep on the parameters, but we also took a step back and actually understood, you know, Drake more of as a developer, how he thinks about his code, which I felt was very, very critical. And I, Uh I learned a lot just from, you know, you can't assume that just because it's DeFi interoperability and composability is default. It actually needs to be thought of and pre-designed by the engineers to build it so that it could have that. I didn't even realize a lot of the things. I just kind of thought that everything was automatically read. I didn't realize that the devs had to do something to like when you like call information, like for the information to call. And like you realize like how much like the devs that do put in that work and put in that little bit of extra care, it does go a long way. Yeah, that's why I felt like for like Drake saying he does all that and think through all of that, it makes me trust, obviously, you know, Frax and, and the code a whole lot more. In Frax, we trust. <laughs> In Frax, we trust. Well, I, I think this this podcast is going to be an amazing one for you guys. So I really hope you guys listen all the way to the end. There's definitely some great alpha in there sprinkled all over that two hour. Sprinkles, sprinkle. Yeah. And don't forget, subscribe to us on YouTube. We are almost at 300 subscribers in less than three months. Let's go. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and at our Telegram at FlywheelPod. You can find me on Twitter at DeFiDave22. You can find me at 0x capital underscore K. And let's get yes. this started. Yes. <laughs> so, Drake. What did you think about that Twitter thread that was posted last night? To actually see people, you know, dig through the chain, find what you're working on, make threads about it. It's kind of a surreal experience. And it kind of like, you know, the whole time I think I've, I've really tried to kind of like understand the gravity of what we're building. And, you know, from a security perspective, especially because this will hold millions of dollars of value and all this stuff. Right. And so 
Uh, but it's it's like I didn't realize that it would become like reading material for people. So that, that's been kind of a weird feeling, I would say for sure. Oh yeah, people love um, digging on chain. They love. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. I I didn't like try to hide it, right? Um, but it was kind of uh, funny to see someone post the screenshots. Thankfully, or the actually thing they did in the end post the contract address. So I think like uh, we were just testing it as a team, you know, on Polygon, which is like basically mm-hmm. testnet for us. <laughs> testnet uh, for a lot of projects. <laughs> so so uh, so yeah, there's probably like some positions you could liquidate for like a dollar if you wanted, but uh, I think oh, there's like twenty dollars <laughs> of liquidity in there right now. But, yeah. <laughs> And like, I think we, cause there, we definitely like, we're testing out kind of like maxing out LTV. So if the Oracle like price changes, then like now they're underwater. Right. So, although I don't know, I guess like technically shit, I should, I shouldn't have said that because then someone's going to go liquidate and steal. Oh, we, we can cut that out. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I honestly, it's fine. I don't think it's a big deal, yeah. but literally people, but, it was like 20 bucks of liquidity or something like that. So. Hey, those MEV searchers, they'll, you know, they'll get every dollar. <laughs> honestly. Yeah. It's funny. I, uh. Well, it's funny you say that because like one of the things I, I, I often like consider is essentially like someone taking the code, redeploying it and like the bytecode matches and then it gets like picked up by stuff. So, so, uh, but yeah, it's crazy kind of what happens and you, you never know, but it's been, it's been good to see people excited. No one's been too upset yet. Yeah. I literally had people message me and they're like, I'm fiending for some Fraxland Alpha, please. My patience is waning. And I'm just like. <laughs> I promise. I, I have something special for you next week. I promise. Just wait. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> like everything. Lots of alpha. Yeah. yeah lots of alpha. <laughs> but yeah, like every like... week. Yeah. Every week, Dave and I, we always mention Fraxled at least once on every. Pod. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's like one it's... of the most anticipated products to come out of Frax and Frax itself. To be honest. That's exciting. I think it's. Yeah. A, I think lending's a core primitive to have, um, mm-hmm. and so we, you know. We believe that internally, um, and 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 like FraxSwap, I think FraxLend came out of like a general need for the protocol initially, and then uh, if we can provide those things sort of as a public good on top of that, like that's kind of the way we think of things. Yeah. I think you know we're pretty pretty committed to kind of like no rent seeking, open infrastructure type stuff, just as a team and like decentralized transparency stuff. So, which is nice because people okay people always say that but it's it's you know when you get behind the scenes it's not always like that you know so yeah no for sure and i i think what's so anticipated about it is frax lens place within the DeFi trinity i mean you have frax and fpi which is the base layer oh, yeah. you know the capital the blood of it um you have frax swap which is the arena um kind of like the body of like where it takes place and frax is literally i think like what's the part of the of like the body system that like pumps the blood it's like the circular system cardiovascular cardiovascular yeah. system that's yeah. yes fraxland is a cardiovascular system <laughs> of the frax universe because it's credit well, that gets everything going it's credit that yeah. like, gets yeah. everything pumping like every, you know you can play these incentive games for so long uh with emissions which is like fine to bootstrap like it's proven to be effective yeah. but in yeah. terms of long sustain sustainability i think it's stuff like fraxland that is going to really shine and really, you know, push Frax forward into the, to the future. This and FPI. FPI is like a different mm-hmm. level, but like in terms yeah, of I think like, FPI <laughs> is kind of like this parallel thing that's like has so much potential. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Like, like if you think about like financial systems, like liquidity trading, huge, and then like you know debt credit is actually like a huge piece of like the building blocks of a proper financial system. So yeah, um, I'm cu- I'm curious when it came to Fraxland and like your process and building it and like 
where did you start? Did you look at like other DeFi protocols? Did you look for, did you have inspiration yeah. off chain? Like, you know, Sam, like, you know, read a lot of economics books and listened to a lot of videos. Like, yeah. did you do the same? Like, what was your process in creating Fraxland from like build it yet? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, no. Uh, I think so, you know, taking a step back, I have like a background in traditional finance. Uh, I did like for several years, venture capital and private equity stuff. So I have like a pretty good understanding of I wasn't like a debt capital markets guy, but, uh, you know, I do have a pretty good understanding of how debt works and stuff. Um, I think like to, to start and actually kind of when I met Sam initially, I was in the middle of raising money for an NFT lending protocol, actually, um, which I eventually abandoned because, well, NFT lending is like kind of a whole bigger topic. But but um, <laughs> so which, I, yeah, we, which we can talk about, but like it's there's just a lot of like different unique stuff with it. But but um, so I think you know, in terms of how we, we went about the process, I think from the very beginning, we liked the kind of Uniswap immutable pair pair kind of model. Um, I think a lot of the initial lending stuff was uh, a lot, a little heavier handed for when it comes to governance and then also the pooling capital. And so I think that like from the very beginning, Sam and I were, were very attracted to kind of this like um, isolated risk kind of pairwise thing. And actually, I think Kashi, Kashi, I don't know how you say it, from SushiSwap yeah. was kind of the first people to do this. Um, so, you know, the first thing that I did was kind of take a look at what other people were doing, uh, like at the code level. So I read through the GitHub of Kashi, of Compound, um, Abe, like I, I kind of went through all these and just took a look at how they, how they were built. And it's, it's interesting because, uh, they took a, there's a lot of code to go through. How's that <laughs> for what seems like a, a simple thing? Um, and actually, I think if you look at like the code base, which we're going to be releasing shortly or like making public shortly, like there's not so much code with um, with uh, with Fraxland. And I think that's kind of actually one of the things that I believe in also is that um, part of the advantage of having these isolated systems and, and kind of the Uniswap immutable kind of mindset is actually there's just less surface area for exploits and bugs. Um, when all the logic is like self-contained, when all the logic's like easy to understand, um, you just have less like unknown side effects that you, you know you can't anticipate, and and I always I, I say this to the Frax guys sometimes, but I'm like, if you read the code and you're and you say like that's it, like that's that means I've done like a good job, you know, like it should be so simple that like anybody can wrap their heads around it the first time they read it. I like believe a lot in code readability. Um, you don't always get to prioritize that in Solidity because of gas and stuff, but uh that's kind of like my, my main focus at all times is like readability and like understanding the system. And then also just like preventing, um, you know, in web two, you, you kind of have this, this like debate between like more functionality, uh, and less. And usually like the, the only downside to the more functionality is maybe scope creep, but in solidity, it's sort of like, how do I design this with the least possible functionality and to complete like what I need to do? Because, um, like security, right? Like, you know, it's not worth the, the unknown and like the extra risk by oh, adding yeah. in like forks in the logic or different, you know, different like scenario combinations and stuff because then testing gets hard too. So I think like, uh, you know, we've taken that kind of approach, I think, in, in building Fraxland. When you were, you know, in the beginning stages, like, you know, studying Kashi, studying these other lending platforms, Kashi never really took off. I think, you know, I think Kashi was a great idea, but it never really, you know, reached like the same adoption levels as like Ave or like yeah. Aurari did like why do you think that is do you think it was a lack of liquidity do you think it was something else I mean I think lack of liquidity is is a symptom not like a driver right because people will go where they can get yield 
I think it's um I think it's mindshare. I think it's like marketing. I think it's um and I think it's like uh, the overwhelming choices. I think that's actually a big thing we talk about a lot because because that question comes up a lot. Um, why did Cashy not take off? It, it's you know arguably a, a better system. Like so many of these hacks are due to kind of like tainted collateral and stuff. I think it's um, there's two big things for me. You know, it's the same thing that like the reason why Uniswap frontend still gets a fuck ton of volume, even though you get better execution on aggregators. It's just like they have the mind share. People think, oh, I'm going to make a trade. They go to Uniswap, right? So I think there's part of that. Like people think, oh, I'm going to go to Compound or Aave if I want to go to lending markets. Like they just know that. I think that's part of it. I think the other part is that when you go to like Kashi, there's so many choices, right? Um, yeah. I think this is kind of like the Apple and Android thing. And, and I apologize if I'm offending either group of people when I say this, but I think that sometimes Apple is really good at just like guiding you down the path, right? They don't give you like a hundred choices. They give you three, but you find what you need 80% of the time, like instantly, as opposed to, you know, I, and I actually, I used to, I, I bounced back between Mac OS and Windows a lot. And one of the funny things about Windows is like, there's four places you can change a setting, right? Like go to the control panel, like manually edit the registry, like, or like there's like a few, and, it, and you're like kind of constantly looking around. And, and for some people that's fine. And it's great because you can like really manipulate the system. It's very powerful. But for some people, it's just too much work and they just give up, right? So I, I think that's part of it too. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't know. It's hard to say. Uh, you know, no one really knows who these people providing liquidity are and, and stuff like that. It, you know, you could take both sides of it. I don't know. There's lots of question marks there. I am not exactly like a marketer. That That's not exactly where I spend my time thinking though. So how's that? <laughs> just my thoughts. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, what made Uniswap what it like there's a lot of things what made Uniswap what it was but it was a combination of you know it being very well well done in terms of its code um that's and beautiful. also very well beautiful I keep on hearing from devs like all over oh it's my like God. universally agreed <laughs> upon then how beautiful Uniswap's code is it's and it's like, like how it's the standard yeah. like every it's, bit um yeah go ahead yeah. no it's like it's incredible I remember the first time I I built like a Uniswap v2 copy you know and just sometimes you like, and this is when I was like learning solidity, you know? So I didn't understand what was happening. And then you understand and you're just like, oh my God, that was fucking just incredible, you know? So, so much respect to, the, to those guys. Yeah. And, I, and I pull that stuff up, you know, uh, and look at it still. So That's I have to say, it's, it it's like, to if, side. <laughs> it's literally, it's like beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And then their UI is just so intuitive. You know, it's, it was the standard, like every AMM, was just like that. It was totally. it was easier to use than centralized exchanges. Totally, I think. Yeah. Um, and there's so much uh, to be said about that. I think actually, uh, I, I sometimes in in Web two at least, I think there's this kind of like people turn their nose up to user experience people. At least some engineers do. And I kind of am like, no, you have it backwards. Like they're the most important thing. <laughs> the engineers, yeah. like whatever. I mean, that I don't really believe that. But you know, I think that it's it's. The user experience is so important. Um, it doesn't matter if you build something amazing and beautiful uh, uh, code-wise, right? If no one knows how to use it or it's too difficult to use or they don't want to use it, it doesn't matter, right? So I think, um, yeah. So we, we, we're working on the UI now for Fraxland. Uh, hopefully it's beautiful as well. Awesome. Like the new UI for Frax is so much better than the old one. You guys did a great job. Yeah. Was, was it Justin that worked on that or was that you? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's actually like kind of everybody a little bit. So mainly Justin, right? So yeah. Justin is like, 
also like justin is is like i love justin so much he's so smart <laughs> and like uh what he builds is actually like beautiful as well i remember the first time kind of like opening up the code for the for the for the uh, and for a while he was okay so here's what was like interesting about this and maybe i'm <laughs> leaking like a little too much information here but like he was working on the ui alone and but like he had he had maintained like a lot of really good what i consider best practices um for working in a team and like you know that takes discipline and like mm -hmm. a long-term focus right you know it's really easy when you're the one building it to just like doesn't really matter because like i know where everything is i know you know it doesn't matter but uh he took a really good approach and i'm thankful for it because now i'm building on on the repo and it's uh oh, so it's easier to use to yeah yeah so like a lot of times and i think this is like a common thing in software like the right way to do it takes extra time and the benefit to doing it the right way is that other people can come and work on it with you but that all takes extra time and it's really easy to like fall into the trap of like well i'm just going to get this done as opposed it's, to like it takes do so the much, extra work it takes a longer term mindset it being like oh like yeah. if other people were to use this code that i'm using like what tracks do i need to lay for them to make their lives easier um yeah totally yeah. and i think a lot of people it's, I understand why, right? Because like people are driving towards deadlines, they're trying to get their stuff to work. But I think it's one of those things that like separates uh, the best from just good. Yeah, speaking of uh, Frax devs, um, what's it like working on the Frax team? I saw somewhere on Twitter that uh, Frax is like the uh, SEAL Team 6 of devs because <laughs> it's literally I, uh... eight of you guys. And you hear yeah. short, you know, you yeah, hear yeah. stories of like teams of like, oh, we're like 20 people, 40 people. We have like, I think Maker this has year, like 100, right? 100 people, this and that. But like, yeah. you guys are just this very focused <laughs> unit, like kind of all working asynchronously, like on your different yeah. tasks. But like, they're, and they're such huge tasks. But like, you guys are able to ship and like ship like pretty yeah. consistently. Like, like, every few months, you guys are coming out with something. So, what's it like? Is that like standard, like that Justin has just you know, all across the Frax team, like, in, I, like daily, yeah. In, in some ways, yeah, right? I think, like, it's, it's working with Frax is kind of amazing. Uh, you know, it's very rare to meet people who are both intelligent and knowledgeable, um, which, like, okay, to me, I, like, intelligence to me is, like, your ability to consume data, think about it, and, like, ask good questions, like, the speed at which you can do that, which, like, yeah. that's kind of something I think you're born with. And then there's knowledge, which is, like, something you accumulate over time, right? Like, doctors have a lot of knowledge, they may or may not be intelligent. I don't know, right? Um, yeah. So until you meet someone, you can't really tell. But like, uh, so it's very rare to meet, like a, to be with like a group of people who are both intelligent and knowledgeable, um, especially across like some pretty diverse topics because, and each of these topics are kind of something that I might have like a few friends who know one piece of it, but they don't know the other side. So like, you know, macroeconomic policy, like central bank accounting, like DeFi stuff like it's pretty rare to have like a group of people who just like have deep knowledge and all those things and then you know everybody has knowledge in their own little area of expertise that's way beyond something you know i have in my yeah. expertise so so i would say like in that instance it's like actually an incredible experience to just have access to like a bunch of big brains like 24 7. um in terms of like what it's like to work at Frax, I don't know. It's funny. We, we kind of have like a te team all over the place. And uh, so there's people in New York, uh, in Mountain Time, in Pacific Time. We've got a guy in, in Europe. So the Frax chat, like the, we have like a dev chat, which is just the eight of us, right? So it's like yeah. basically the Frax team chat. I don't know why it's called <laughs> chat. But um, it's like 24-7. I'm like, I've, I kid you not, like 24-7. Um, and I think like the team's pretty responsive too. So like we are just talking about shit all the time. Like, you know, we have like big discussion about like inflation in Japan or, 
or like uh, just kind of like global macroeconomic stuff that's not necessarily related to to um to like frax frax stuff but then we also like you know we'll share twitter threads and stuff and like just like a really healthy debate um but that's going on 24 7 so literally i wake up usually like every day 7 30 uh, I like look at the frax chat. <laughs> like there's like a hundred <laughs> messages because, because it's funny because Sam like, and like the, the West coast guys stay up really late. I oh, probably yeah. go to bed kind of early ish for frax, which is like 1130 ish, but like they're up till like two or three in the morning Pacific time. And then they'll catch the guy who's in, uh, the Netherlands <laughs> in the morning. So I'm like, I wake up and there's like a hundred messages I'll go through and like, I'll respond or like kind of give my, my like thoughts. You're on giving me topics. flashbacks to the, my Everpedia chat with uh, Sam and Travis back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, thing. exactly. I'm sure it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. No, it's yeah. like 24 seven. Um, yeah. not like discussions in a diverse range of topics and like deep discussions and be about the yeah. most random things. And like knowing how yeah. Sam is and how he like philosophically takes apart things. And same thing with Travis and like how like security minded Travis is and how he takes apart things like it's it nice. can get in, get like really uh, intense. It definitely gets intense. I remember one time <laughs> we, me and me and Sam were going back and forth about actually it was like the inflation in Japan and kind of the debate about this and like thinking about it kind of like in vector space is like vectors kind of on these things. And and like S Sam was like, no, no, hold on. I want to know what Drake was saying because he I think he's, he's saying is contradicting what I'm saying. And like, you know, there's, there's no, like, uh, th it's like, a, it's very healthy debate. And I think it's like very much, uh, um, like, yeah, it's, 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 it's like a high quality in good faith and like kind of goes all over the place. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, I think the big, the biggest thing, I don't, I don't know, like some people might hear that. I, I want to make clear, like no, no one's like driving the, uh, driving like some like weird, like work all the time culture. I think it's just like. For me, at least, it's it's like this is these are interesting topics. This is like just like breathing people. for you guys. Just, you like you guys. Yeah, it's just like breathe. chatting yeah. with my friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't feel like if I don't respond, like someone's gonna be upset with me. But it's like, oh, that was interesting. I want to like throw in my my thoughts. You know. Yeah. No, I think you bring in like uh, go ahead. I just want to say with, with that kind of dynamic, like, how would you hire for that? You know, how do you put that in the job description <laughs> and try to grow the team? <laughs> I I think right. so. If if it were me. Um, and I, I did, uh, interview like the latest hire sort of like, just as a, like, just not like as an official interview, just like get to know this person. Um, for me, it's like the most important thing I think is like, are you intelligent? Can you consume new data quickly? Um, and then I want to know, like, do you have like good math fundamentals and can you think about things like in a, in a, like a disciplined way? Like, can you build a logical syllogism? Can you... Can you like, uh, I don't know, kind of like just be, can you like engage in a debate healthily? Uh, that's like the most important, I think. Um, I, I don't really make hiring decisions. I think most likely uh, also like some understanding of like macroeconomics and stuff um, are, are important too. I, we're, the truth is like this stuff's de uh, developing so fast and so quickly that uh, not a lot of knowledge kind of like gets stale. You know, mm -hmm. so I think actually the most important thing is like, can you take what you already know, c get new data and then form new hypothesis on, on that basis? Because like there are similarities to kind of existing systems, but then there's huge differences. And, it, and if you if you fail to acknowledge those, uh, you'll build the wrong hypothesis and just like kind of fail. It's, so it's I think, like, yeah, it's like the Frax chat is like a long form Socr Socratic discussion. That's no, true. literally, no, seriously. And, and it's, and it's very long form in the fact that like, 
you know, you might be like people respond and, you know, reply to like a message, 100 messages back because uh, not everyone's awake all the time. <laughs> so a lot of conversations will get re sort of reopened. Um, and I think that that's really a healthy way to do things because the entire team always weighs in. And um, it is kind of like basically, yeah, like a big long form Socratic debate, like async. Um, I've had to definitely like get my my texting I'm like a big keyboard. I don't know. I don't do like a lot of like <laughs> phone stuff, but uh, yeah, I definitely had to like kind of step up my async communication game. And uh, cool. reading the tweet right now, or two tweets, uh, the one from uh, Harvey Milk. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Frax- yeah, yeah. I saw that. <laughs> um, Fraxland will enable custom vaults, uh, programmable LTV, liquidity fees, maturity, penalty rates, and whitelisted borrowers and lenders. Yeah, so I mean, I think like it's it's actually funny because a lot of this got pulled from the docs, and I was like, oh dang, like what I write in the docs actually matters, you know? <laughs> like, uh, but but yeah, I think like it's uh, at the end of the day, like Fraxland is so there's kind of like two pieces to it, right? This sort of like permissionless side of things, and then like why and how Fraxland will fit into the Frax ecosystem, just as like the public kind of like accessible to anyone concept. Um, you know, anybody can de- deploy a pair. And that allows you to set an asset and a collateral. Um, and you can use that collateral to, to borrow the asset, right? Essentially is kind of the, the, the long and the short of it. So, you know, for our initial launch, we're limiting the available tokens to um, tokens that have a chain link data feed. Um, and so, you know, you'll be able to create a, mic- a market, you know, between any of those. So this is a little bit different than other lending protocols in that there, there is no like pooled capital. Each pair is kind of isolated, more of like a Uniswap style, um, where the the available liquidity is only for that uh, collateral. What do you think the advantages and disadvantages of isolated pairs are? Um, so, and like this is going to be like my dev kind of showing through. I think like for from from my perspective, um, I think there's a lot less risk uh, for isolated pairs um, from a development and like a bug bug perspective. But also, um, which I think is you know helpful. But also, I think one of the other advantages is that um, for liquidity providers, you can very clearly um, assess the risks uh, because the amount of variables is kind of contained. Um, I, I also, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that there's like that much beyond that. Um, yeah. I think there's like maybe a little bit less capital available, but I, I actually just don't think that's a real thing. Actually, yeah. what do you think of? <laughs> I think it, it does allow you to kind of maybe have a broader range of capital uh, collaterals, like in terms of quality, mm-hmm. uh, because you don't, you're not, you're not tainting the pool, but um, you know. What do you think of, you know, there's silo out there that is doing something similar. Um, they're like a combination of isolated pools, but they have like a bridge asset where it's either yeah. like ETH or stablecoin or. I, um, I, I haven't seen. So I looked at silo when we f- very first started and I think that, and again, I could be totally wrong here. So just, you know, take it with a grain of salt. I think they kind of changed that. Originally, they were just purely isolated. And then they kind of, the last time I looked, which I think you actually spurred me to look, um, they had kind of a, like that pool capital thing. I'm, I'm not sure how it's going to work under the hood. Um, I don't think they have any code up public yet. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know. Uh, I do think that this is a, little, a better system. There's less governance required. You know, you don't have to onboard new new pairs and stuff, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I don't know. I, I don't know enough about them to kind of make a claim. I, I do think it's it's the right way to do things, uh, but I don't know how they're going to actually do the bridge asset thing because I'm confused. Yeah, I just don't really understand how that works exactly. Like I saw the diagrams. <laughs> How's that? But I don't know exactly what that means for lenders. Um, like if I lend ETH, because like in the examples they're using ETH as the bridge asset, does that mean my ETH can go everywhere? Do I do I only allow certain collaterals? I'm not sure. Mm. Yeah, I think that the idea is they're trying to be more capital efficient, but you know you can't have your cake and eat it too. So mm. the question is kind of what are you giving up for that? Drake, could you um, sure. Drake, can you put Fraxland in your own terms? Yeah, sure. I think uh, Fraxland is a lending marketplace um, that allows anybody to supply capital to be lent out. Uh, or to put up collateral and receive assets for borrowing. I think in the kind of short terms, that's that's what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, another way to think about it is a revolving line of credit, a revolving line of like over collateralized credit. How's that? Where the utilization of the credit line determines interest rates. That's a, sort of another way to think of it. So why do you think all that is important for FRAX right now in this moment? I think there's two things. Uh, Frax like really believes as like a as a core team and like as a protocol. I think in kind of like decentralization and and transparency. So um, and and most of the things that we build, uh, we actually need. And so uh, we kind of have this approach of well, if we're going to build it for ourselves, like let's open it up to everybody. So I think there's really two big use cases for Frax uh, to use FraxLend um, as a protocol. The first is uh, minting new fracks using debt. So um, if you're familiar with like some of the other AMOs, that's essentially how it works, right? So the AMOs mint fracks into Aave or, or some lending protocol, and then people can access that fracks. Uh, it goes into circulation by putting up an over collateralized um, collateral position, right? So uh, I think like just having control of that process for ourselves is, is like one of the key points of this, right? So we will definitely be deploying protocol and liquidity into um, specific FRAX lend pairs. I think that's the first first use case for FRAX. Um, <clears throat> the next one is actually something that's a little bit more um, like small scale, but ultimately we want to have the ability to, to very transparently create kind of like custom term sheets um, for us to engage in, you know, uh, activities with like other DAOs basically. So Instead of just kind of like, oh, we're going to send you some tokens, you're going to send us some tokens, like everybody's happy. Uh, and like that's through like some multi-sig and like coordinated over the counter, like over Telegram or something. You know, Fraxlen allows us to kind of create these custom term sheets where, you know, for example, you might set the interest rate to zero uh, and then I can sort of lend you some Frax uh, and you get the Frax back. Or when you pay the Frax back, you get, get some... Um, your collateral back, or or we could set it to, to be in such a way that like uh, there's no collateral no collateral requirement. Um, but and you you might ask like, well, what's the point then? But the point is to be transparent and to be on chain, right? That it's not just like a bunch of dudes on Telegram coordinating something and then sending it to multi sigs, right? Like there is this kind of like record on chain, and I think that that's a big part of what we believe in uh, at Frax. You know, being transparent, actually being decentralized as much as you possibly can. So so I think that like um, and, and that actually, yeah, so I think that that's kind of another use case for us. And, and obviously there's a lot more flexibility that you can do when you're kind of, um, engaging in 
activities between trusted parties, right? Under collateralized loans, um, you can do like maturity dates and, and, you know, LTVs and liquidation fees and like kind of customize all that stuff. And we want to be able to do that. Uh, and we have a lot of applications that we want to do that with uh, in the future. I never thought of that uh, instead of being this, like in terms of, uh, you know, coming to agreements with other DAOs and doing token swaps with other DAOs, which is usually coordinated in group chats and then, you know, done in an over-the-counter of way uh, with these under, basically like, like you said, like under-collateralized, zero-collateral loans, you can have this exchange happen. And like you said, like, yeah, what's the point? Well, the point of it is like to have a record of it on-chain and yeah, and this will help build on-chain credit and whatnot. Yeah, and also it's not even, I, I think like on-chain credit is, I hadn't really even thought of that, but it's just that like the Frax ecosystem knows what's happening, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think like just having that little bit of extra transparency is also helpful. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of yeah, like, I, a lot of like little primitives that you can build on top of that, which I think we're hoping to do, you know, when it comes to real world lending and other things like that, that, that um, we hope to use like kind of the, we're calling it like custom term sheet uh, functionality for. I, I agree. I think the transparency aspect is the right direction because Frax is getting, you know, more and more complicated over time and yeah. transparency is going to really help kind of open that up to, you know, newcomers to Frax to learn about the space. And yeah. I just had an idea of like, what are these, you know, OTC desks like Genesis and et cetera, because all of them operate on a Telegram channel type basis. Would Frax be open to like them? using the Fraxlin technology for their own OTC desk for on-chain stuff. Yeah, I think 100%, right? Um, we, right now, like the, the, there's a whitelist for who can deploy uh, using the custom deployment where you can set all these things, but that's mainly for safety because, you know, we don't want people configuring pools with like really aggressive parameters and then have like a, like the Ichi thing, you know, they had like, mm -hmm. it was kind of a misconfigured pool. It wasn't really Rari's fault, but I think Rari got a bunch of kind of negative publicity um, as a result, right? So we, we're just, uh, but yeah, 100%. That's kind of what we built this for is that like, it's supposed to be usable for, for, for everyone. For the viewers at home, um, can you explain what EIP 4626 the tokenized vault standard is and what the significance yeah. is and why Frax chose that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, the reason why Frax chose it is because we always support like sort of open source standards. We want, we want um, people to build and make our, and make the things that we build composable. So I think like that's for us, it was an easy choice. Um, it did actually add a lot of bytecode to the contract, which gave me a lot of headache, but you know, beyond that, there wasn't really any downside to, to adding it, I think. Um, but the tokenized vault standard is essentially, and I'm sure there are people out there who can say this much better than me, but there's a lot of applications where you give um, some asset to a contract, uh, in this case, vaults, and in return, you get kind of uh, a yield bearing token. And that token, um, you can exchange for some amount of the underlying asset. Um, and get it back, right? And, and they usually have like a, an exchange rate or, or, or like a price kind of internal to the, as the, as the vault earns yield, in theory, your share of the yield uh, is going up and up, right? So Fraxlon does the exact same thing, right? So in this case, the yields generated from borrowers and having their interest recapitalized. Um, and so essentially, if I lend 100, you know, 100 ETH, 
uh, and then you know the 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 entire vault earns one ETH. Um, I can essentially take the the F tokens and exchange them back for now uh, 101 ETH. Is kind of the idea. So uh, and this kind of concept happens in a lot of applications, uh, not just lending, but in um, I think like portfolio management type stuff. But but essentially it's a, it's a standard to allow uh, uh, these types of applications to all conform to the same API essentially. And, and hopefully that means much more composable and they can build stuff. I mean, if you look at like the ERC-20 and uh, ERC-721 standards and how they enabled an entire economy, um, you know, hopefully this does the same thing. Mm. And moving on to, I think this is one of the most exciting parts about Fraxland, um, is the term sheet lending. Um, can you go into this more, you know, what the features are going to be like, how you yeah. imagine this playing out? It's actually, you know, the idea, and we talked about this, is to create the ability for parties to create customized um, term sheets, right? So a term sheet is basically like a list of parameters used in finance between two parties to kind of like lay out their agreement. Um, in this case, it's like a debt agreement. So, you know, there are a few things that we baked into this to, be, to let the contract be used in this way. Um, and I can just probably go through each of these. So mm -hmm. like maturity dates, I think this is pretty clear. So one thing that you don't see a lot in, in DeFi, which I, I hope we're changing soon, is this kind of idea of like a fixed um, maturity payback kind of, um, of lending. And kind of like bonds, but um, in this case, you know, you can configure a maturity date. Uh, and after the maturity date, some penalty interest rate uh, goes into effect. So what that means is I could do something like, uh, zero percent interest for a year, and then uh, after that, it's like you know two hundred percent interest or something, right? And the idea is basically that um, I'm giving you an interest-free loan, but uh, if you don't pay me back, then uh, I can seize your collateral as a function of um, essentially what would happen is the penalty rate would accumulate interest. Eventually, your position would go underwater, and I could liquidate you. Um, so that's like how maturity dates work. Uh, restricted borrowers and lenders. So this is basically just a whitelist. So, you know, you can imagine if, if me and you enter into an agreement together that we don't want other people participating in the pool. So we, we whitelist borrowers and lenders. Um, one thing that's interesting about the, the lender whitelist is that actually limit, limits who can liquidate. Um, so if you have a lender whitelist, uh, only the lenders can liquidate. So again, you don't want to be paying liquidation fees to random people. Um, you know, you can imagine where I loan you something, uh, it's supposed to be paid back, but you say, hey, I'm going to pay you back, I promise. Uh, I trust you because we know each other. Um, I don't want to liquidate you. You know, you don't want someone just kind of along and liquidating you because your position's underwater. Right? The way you explain um, that, it sounds quite institutional friendly to have the, a restricted list of borrowers and lenders. Um, I don't know if you thought of that. That Just think about, like, within, think about how Aave, ARC, or Aave institutional works because they have separate pooled liquidity from like the main, you know, Ave yeah. uh, pool. Um, I guess like with, with, with this term sheet lending, institutions can come in and, you know, create their own terms and decide like who they can lend to and on the opposite side, who they can borrow from. Yeah, yeah, totally. So it's like, it opens up a lot of things um, between trusted parties, right? I think the under collateralized loans, again, this is like, I think a pretty straightforward one, but uh, you can imagine when there's some level of trust between parties uh, that 
requiring a under collateralized loan would be very beneficial, right? There's some backstop if things, you know, really shit hits the fan, but, but uh, it's a lot more capital efficient, right? So, um, limited liquidations. I think we talked about that. That's like, there are restrictions to who can liquidate. And then the LTV LTV is very, very much, it's like the inverse of an under collateralized loan. So if, if loan to value is above a hundred percent, that is an under collateralized loan. So, um, there's also, you can manipulate the liquidation fee as well. Uh, I don't know. They didn't list it here, but, but if you, if you think that like, so it's set, set to def, uh, default 10%, but you know, for some, for some assets, uh, so for some pairs, I should say, that doesn't really make sense. That's kind of a very high. Um... The other interesting thing about liquidation fees, which I don't think anyone really talks about, they kind of act as like a priority lever in times of uh, like congested block space. So if you think about high volatility, block space becomes very expensive. And uh, obviously the most, the higher that you have uh, your liquidation fee kind of like creates a sort of like pseudo tranching, mm-hmm. you know, people are going to liquidate the positions with highest fees first. So you're kind of like prioritizing your liquidation. So if you believe you have a volatile collateral, you probably want a low LTV, high liquidation fee, because if you don't liquidate it quickly, you're at risk of high debt, you know, or, or a bad debt. But if it's something like ETH or WBTC, where the volatility is much lower, maybe you don't need to like, you don't need to be first in line for liquidation. And how does that imply for Frax, the stable point itself? Like if someone deposited a ERC-20 asset, and when they wanted to borrow Frax, is Frax just instantly minted for the borrower at that moment? Uh, so the minting of Frax is controlled by the AMOs, um, mm-hmm. which are like automated market operators. Uh, you can read more about them in, in the docs, but it's not minted on demand. So the way that usually works is we mint it into a pair um, mm-hmm. just because like we're not giving a pair like the power to mint. Um, minting is like a, a, is somewhat it's like a very important process, right? Yep. So that's like very that's very function. locked down, very very privileged. Yeah. So I think how this works um, is like we we'll mint uh, some amount of frax into um, a pair, pr- probably just ETH or WBTC to start. Uh, definitely nothing that's like volatile in any way, um, and. Uh, you can take that minted frax and now kind of have access to it. Um, once it goes into circulation, that like sort of updates all of our accounting um, and all the dashboards and stuff. But but that's really kind of how it'll work. Is that w- this gives the frax protocol the ability to to uh, mint new frax in exchange for for debt, basically. I always viewed okay, and that's, go ahead. Mm-hmm. That's, that's controlled by the team right now to see how much each pool receives in frax, the ETH and the WPTC. Um, I believe it's governance as well. Um, mm-hmm. I I am a little bit that's a little bit out of my wheelhouse to speak with certainty, but I'm I'm 99 sure that there, there's governance before we enter into like any new kind of a uh, because I remember there was when we did Ave and stuff. So I I believe that's like a governance mm-hmm. decision. Yeah, I think the manual process takes place with the multi sig, but but it's um it's not just like the team decides, hey, this is a good asset, whatever. Got it. What I always viewed. Fraxland in relation to lending AMOs as an extension of it and in a sense a more optimized version of lending AMOs because you have so much more tactile control over like how much you know on like the direction of where the frax is flowing uh like lending AMOs before you know you know when you mint new frax into like Ave or mint new frax into Rari or something else you know it's just in a pool 
but with um frax lend like you can with a lending ammo um you know abiding by the lending ammo's parameters you can mint new frax into specific pairs um that you know that goes through governance um like like you said it could like be eth and wbtc to start but you know maybe there's like a dao that you know developed its uh, credit score on chain uh with frax and developed enough trust to take out an under collateralized loan and you know governance feels comfortable enough to uh approve of it and new frax is minted there would you would you say that's yeah. accurate that's definitely accurate i would i would argue that uh we'll never mint frax under collateralized okay. but um <laughs> but it's possible <laughs> i don't think that's like uh, something that we would want to do but but we could you know yes technically that would be possible i think it does give you like a lot more fine-tuned control there's also no fees like no rent seeking right which is like a nice thing for the protocol there's and no also, fees wow yeah no fees like we have the ability to turn fees on uh, i don't think we really plan to we're not really in the like i think and again i'm i'm this is like just me speaking but i think you know my general feel is that um rent seeking is kind of like a losing prospect for frax like that's not really what we do our our whole thing is like generate demand for frax build an ecosystem build something much larger and and that's how we kind of build value as opposed to like oh yeah we're going to try and compete in like the lending space and like capture oh. profits that way you know so like frax it's, it's much yeah. more of like Go ahead. like let's provide this this tool that we need for ourselves we provide it for everybody else too they can use it as well and like if it's you know we're not like that's not where we drive our profits from right that's not really what like the purpose of fraxland is um obviously now now to be clear if you provide liquidity you make money right that and the protocol will make money that way but just not like there's no fee essentially for the fraxland protocol if that makes sense mm. so good and, and how do you see this um benefiting of fraxland benefiting fxs holders? holders so <laughs> so this is always like a big question um especially in the community chat i think i i think that uh, ultimately it, it drives demand for frax um which you know as the ecosystem grows like vefxs holders benefit from that um i i uh that that's how i think it does at some point obviously we may turn on fees for certain pairs um but I think for the core ones, the big ones that, that we're loaning fracks out, we probably won't. Um, but obviously, if we turn on fees, that does uh, generate profits, uh, which eventually go to VEFXS. And then also just like ge generating an ecosystem building like uh, demand for fracks, obviously, uh, does the same thing. Um, okay. So back to the uh, thread. Um, we... 0x uh, d24 goes into uh, you know each pair is configured to a specific rate calculator um can you go through these two uh time weighted variable rate calculator yeah. and linear rate calculator sure so i think one of like the big questions and perhaps why uh some of the early lending protocols didn't go this route of like pair up any pair is that uh, you kind of have to make a, an assessment about what you believe the proper um, interest rate kind of profile is for a given pair, right? So, uh, and the reason you have to do that is that, and again, like, uh, I don't want to speak with too much authority about what other people are doing. And so if I butcher this, then forgive me, but, um, there's kind of like an interest rate curve. And the only thing that determines the interest rate is the utilization 
Um, and governance can vote to change those parameters, but again, it requires a governance vote. So if you completely misprice uh, the interest curve, uh, you'll have like 100% utilization, which is not good because you have a bunch of lenders who are like, well, what, now my money's stuck forever. And the borrowers who are like, yeah, I'm never paying it back because it's like a great deal. You, you know, you price the interest rate too low, screw you. So, um, so then you have to vote and like change things. So one of the nice things about this, uh, the, the time-weighted variable rate calculator, which actually was inspired by Kashi, I wanna you know, give credit where credit's due, uh, actually a, a, adjusts the interest rate kind of like in perpetuity um, as a basis of, of utilization. So what does that mean? That basically means that when utilization is higher than the target, and the target for us is 75 to 85% uh, percent utilization, then the interest rate will um, basically double uh, every four hours. So a little alpha leak, we're changing that to 12 hours. Um, so it's a little bit more slow uh, updating. But the idea here is that the market ultimately decides what the proper interest rate curve looks like. Um, so if you have a really bad uh, collateral pair or volatile collateral pair, you know, the, the market will sort of like uh, uh, reach uh, homeostasis at like, let's say 12%. Um, if you have something that's really not volatile, uh, the, the interest rates are going to be very low, right? So what this does is kind of allows a mechanism for that interest rate to, to slowly rise and in theory forever or come all the way down. Uh, I think the, the lowest interest rate is like 0.025% or something like that. But, but the idea is that um, the pool deployer doesn't have to make um, an assessment of what they believe like the proper interest rate curve is. So, so I think that's, it's a really unique mechanism I, I don't know. I think it's kind of required if you're not going to um, be very thoughtful about or, or, or provide restrictions for the types of collateral, right? Because uh, every pair is going to have its own kind of risk. Uh, and trying to assess that uh, just puts a lot of governance oversight. And also, like, at the end of the day, the market's who should decide those things, right? So as interest rates go up, in theory, people will pull out of the borrowing and then it'll move back to kind of the 75, 85% range um, and reaching a homeostasis is kind of the idea. And the same thing happens when the interest rates too low or when the utilization is too low, uh, the interest rate lowers and lowers. Therefore, you know, either people, more people borrow or uh, lenders pull some liquidity. And again, kind of like pushing the utilization back to this 75, 85% range. So that's, that's the time weighted variable. Um, the linear interest rate is kind of like just really straightforward, right? It's like a hockey stick kind of thing. But basically, it's two y equals mx plus b, right? Linear rates, and then uh, wherever the utilization is, is is the um, is the interest rate. So this is like a very opinionated kind of way of doing it, right? So, uh, and and this is how you know we will do things like uh, the term sheet at zero percent interest, right? You could set this all to zero, boom. Now you have like a zero percent interest thing, or you might do zero up to ninety percent, and then like you know, go, jumps to a thousand percent, things like that. And, and again, that's extensible. So, uh, if you have a good idea for a new curve or a new calculator, submit it, DM me on Twitter. I don't know. We can add more. <laughs> the more, the merrier. Um, yeah, I think like that's, that's one of the things that is cool about DeFi, right? It's like this, um, ability to incubate new primitives on demand and constant innovation. Um, which is going to lead me to X, uh, could you build your own Dijon box with Fraxland? Like, you know how, like, Mim has the Dijon box? Can you do that? Like, Run through me the, the overview of Dijon box. I'm not, I'm not an expert, and I want to make sure I'm talking about the right thing. Kit, I feel like that's more your area of expertise. Yeah. 
so, you know, back in the day when Anchor was printing 20% for everybody <laughs> and uh, everybody gets 20%, uh, you would put your UST into Abracadabra and then you would collateralize that and borrow MIM against it and swap it in Curve for more UST uh-huh. and then collateralize that UST yeah. and borrow more MIM and then you rinse repeat. And what Abracadabra does on the back end is they take your UST on Ethereum and bridge it over to Terra and deposit it into Anchor to earn that 20%. Okay. So you can lever up and, and get almost like 80% yield uh, on your stables. Yeah. So actually, this is a thing which I clearly haven't highlighted enough in the docs, um, but we do have like one-click leverage uh, inside of Fraxland here. So I think, yeah, you could definitely do that. Um, obviously the maximum amount of leverage will be a function of the LTV for that pair, but, um, the idea is, yeah, you could definitely do that, uh, leverage up to like three X, I think is what, what it is now. Uh, and, um, you can do that with like one transaction, which is actually a significantly more gas efficient because you're not transferring all over the place. Mm -hmm. The way it actually works is because like the, the, the solvency checks happen at the end of a transaction. You actually, uh, let's say you give like $100 of, of collateral. Um, you want to borrow like $400 of collateral uh, or of like an asset. So what you do is you, you, you deposit the $100 of collateral. Uh, the protocol like basically marks you having a debt of 400 It takes those assets, swaps them for collateral, and then takes that collateral and deposits it back. So basically what would happen is like um, you would have given $100 of, of collateral. And then your final position would be a debt of $400 and a uh, total collateral uh, deposited of $500, right? Because you took the 400, swapped it for collateral and deposited right. it. Um, so like that LTV actually wouldn't work because that's 80% LTV, but you get sort of the concept. Um, and yeah, so it's, yeah, it's a so, lot cheaper so, to do it so that way. One click so had the same thing. It's like a slider leverage. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. you slide to the leverage preferred and then you yeah. hit go and then the degen box just, just degens just does for the you. Whole thing. Yeah, so that's exactly what we're, <laughs> yeah. what we're doing. It's not, hopefully it's nice. not too degen, but, but yeah. we, you know, I think that like people want that. So, and they could do it before. So, mm-hmm. you know, providing this like more gas efficient way to do it. And then today, actually, so here's a way that the EFXS kind of gets a little uh, juicing is uh, we use FraxSwap to do those swaps. Um, so FraxSwap does have fees, so there's a little profit for the EFXS holders. <laughs> no, we have a lot of lot of ideas nah, for, how, for for that kind of stuff um, and for how, how to like make the ecosystem synergistic, but for V1, um, limited scope. Got it. Okay. And, and then, uh, sorry, before we dive into the thread, I just had this idea of like, so if I had, say, Uni as the ERC20 token, and then there's a Uni and, say, Frax pair. Um, sorry, let's use a different Is this uni and ETH pair, right? Mm-hmm. And then is that just one isolated pair? Meaning I can another person cannot have another uni and ETH? That's a very good point. Pool? Uh, yes and no. So the, what did, I think what, what you're really asking, the, the question is yes, but there's a little bit of extra that goes into that, which is that uh, you mm-hmm. can't have two pools that are public, so like no borrower lend, like went lending whitelist, um, mm-hmm. yep. that have the same asset collateral uh, interest rate calculator. Um, so those those three things together are kind of what determine uniqueness. So you can't deploy basically an exact copy of, so an, it can't of another be redundant. public pair. 
Yeah, so there is like a little check in the deployer to make sure that like you're not just deploying the exact same thing, um, because then yeah, you're splitting liquidity. People like you know sketchy stuff starts to happen. Yeah. Right. Um, so there is that ability, but uh, if you if you had like created a, a borrower or a lender whitelist, that's not considered uh, you you know unique, or it is considered unique, I should say. So it does. Uh, mm-hmm. You could do that. But um, and the, and the cool thing, one of the like little cool things about Fraxlin too is like, uh, if you do that custom deploy, you get to like t- uh, have your own name, so you know you could be like Drake Evans Lending Pool or something. You know, I think Tetranode had like a Rari lock, like, you know, Tetranode yeah, locker, locker Tetranode yeah. locker. So you can do things yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. and that'll show up in the UI, and you know, you can send out uh, links and stuff for that, DeFi and that'll show up Fraxlin's also pool. in the. Uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, seriously, and that'll like show up on the token right. tracker and stuff. Because I, I I was thinking like let's say I I'm a large uni holder and there aren't enough ETH liquidity in the current public pool. Mm-hmm. What if I deployed like a a custom deployer with a uni and ETH kind of pair? However, I'm gonna pay m- way higher interest, so I want more ETH to flood into it. So you know I that's artificially yeah. That's a really interesting use case which I hadn't thought of. But yeah, you could you could create um, you could either just like deposit or borrow a bunch of the existing pool, which would push the utilization to like 100%, and then that would incentivize, the interest rates would go up, and that would incentivize people to join that pool. Mm-hmm. Alternatively, you could create your own custom and basically say, I'm the only one who can borrow, anybody can lend to me, and you could you could do it like with a fixed rate, right? You could you could use the, fi- the, the mm-hmm. linear rate, set it to like, I don't know, something high, 10%, I don't know, um, and and do something like that too. So, so there's a lot of applications here um, for DAOs and whales to kind of cool. do this kind of stuff, yeah. That leads to my next question. A thing that's also been discussed a lot in chats is how to spur DAO adoption. Um, and so have you guys thought about that? What's your plan? Obviously, you guys are going to use it first, but have you been talking to other DAOs and like what they're interested in and whatnot? Yeah, I think, um, and this is bad, I should know. I think there's three DAOs that we want to do something with. Uh, I can't remember which ones. BD is like not really my area of expertise. So, uh, but there are, there are some people that I think initially we're going to do custom term sheets with, uh, I can't remember who it is though. Sorry. No, no worries. That's, uh, if, someone else's if job. If there's one thing <laughs> for sure, there's uh, never a wait for free money like that. <laughs> I'm sure like people will yeah, like, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. not, yeah, it's not free, but not free money, but, but like, not. yeah. Um, so Drake, um, in terms of Fraxland, where do you think it fits? in the greater environment of DeFi. I mean, you have Aave already out coming and they're coming out with their V3. You have Compound with their Compound chain. You have a whole host of lending primitives out there. Where does Frax fit in? Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting question, right? Uh, And it's slightly above, uh, not above my pay grade, but not what I think about day to day. But um, I think that it's it's ultimately uh, public it's kind of a public good for the Frax ecosystem. Um, the way we think of it, and I've said this before, it's like first and foremost, a tool that we needed to sort of implement our protocol, but also something that we build kind of for the community as well. I, I think that, look, at the end of the day, there's lots of places to lend your assets and get yield. Um, <clears throat> and it's, it's, I think like that kind of is what drives a lot of this adoption. Um, but you know, we hope that it's uh, easy to use, and the custom term sheets especially provide some unique use cases where uh, that you don't get with some of the bigger protocols. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see because uh, 
we've talked about how it seems like everybody's launching a stable coin these days, right? So Ave just launched Go and and um Every, you know there's rumors about Compound. I think Curve is doing a stable it as well. coin, but you guys are launching a lending protocol. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I I actually Going think that great. um Yeah, I I think that people are starting to realize that there's a lot of synergy between these um applications and you know mm -hmm. Sam has been talking about this for like a year. Basically, it's like we call it the Trinity uh, internally. I think maybe he, he says that externally too. But um, I think, you know, people are kind of getting uh, on board with that idea now. I, I do think that, and I'm not the only person that thinks this, but like rent seeking on these types of things like inevitably goes to zero. Yeah. Um, obviously, like I don't want to get too caught up in like efficient market hypothesis stuff, right? Because the market's not efficient. But, um, you know, I, I think that Fraxland is hopefully kind of starting this concept of like custom term sheet and like launching a little bit more transparent actions. And also, um, you know, we've got a lot of stuff coming out in the future too around debt and stuff mm. that I think will be pretty innovative. I think like we want to do type of like kind of like bonds and stuff as well. Oh, can you speak um, more about that? Uh, yeah, I, I will. I don't know. If, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't. I don't know. But but basically, I think there's a lot of value in having sort of fixed maturity uh, debt backing your stablecoin. Um, it provides a lot of opportunities. And, and, you know, one of the things about Frax is that our entire balance sheet is on chain. So, you know, the, the, the liquidity or I'm using liquidity and like the, the concept of like, is it liquid, you know, convertible to, to like kind of cash in this, in this term, but like the liquidity of your assets makes a big difference when people can see them. It's not a big deal when, uh, a bank has a hundred million of assets that like, Oh, don't come due for six months. No one really knows. Right. <laughs> uh, with us like that, that they do know. Right. So we, we always hundred percent of our collateral is like exchangeable for assets immediately. Like none of it's locked up. So, um, but if you have, you know, time dated debt and you have access to capital that is specifically not, you know, doesn't have to be paid back until a certain date, you can, uh, open up a lot of more opportunities to generate yield. So I think that that's, um, you know, where, where our kind of like mindset is Fra Fraxland was never meant to be like an Ave killer or like a, yeah. a compound killer. That was never like the point. The point was like, Hey, we are building something that we need internally that helps the protocol. And like, Oh, by the way, here, we'll give it to everybody too. You know? So I think that that was, um, the mindset it's, you know, we take a very like, um, synergistic, like build the pie rather than like take a bigger slice of the pie mm -hmm. mindset, I think at Frax. So in terms of like being better, like beating out the competition, that's not really something mm -hmm. I think about. Uh, I don't think anybody on the yeah. Frax team really thinks that way. I think, you know, yeah, we're, we're just like, you guys really nail it's so early, it's so early, like the pie is still growing. Um, and I was just yeah. listening to a podcast, like blockchain and web three and DeFi is like one of like the few growing areas of not just the U S economy, but of the world economy. And so, you know, to be able to create yeah. these tools for yourselves and then release it yeah. in the public domain for others to utilize and enjoy, yeah. um, you know, says a lot. Yeah. And I think like it's, it's, it's just kind of like, yeah, like we, I've never, I've never had a conversation with, of like, how is this better than Ave or compound or no, why they're is just it different. steel yield yeah. internally? Like we just don't, we just don't talk that way at Frax. And so I don't really have a good answer yeah. for how it, how it fits into those things. And yeah. hopefully like, it either inspires them to have like new products or what I, you know, I heard compound V3 is going to be pairs, isolated pairs. I heard, I don't know, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, um, that's kind of the way we think of things.
Moving away from Fraxland, another thing that Frax is working on is Frax ETH, which is basically Frax setting up their own Lido equivalent nodes. Um, and so now you're going for a different part of the stack. Um, do you have any information about the Frax ETH process, uh, what you're thinking behind it? I find it fascinating because, you know, when it comes to nodes, you're kind of like putting your mark on digital land and digital space. And like the fact that you guys are going to like be able to own your own digital land in, uh, you know, when ETH2 is fully, when the merge happens is like definitely a big advantage. So do you have any hints about, you know, Frax ETH at all? Uh, I, I, I don't know that I have any sort of like alpha here, but I think it's, it kind of just fits into like our ethos, you know, like we, we, a few months ago, we were kind of talking about how, um, and this was actually before kind of the steeth kind of like depegging, which is like really not a good, good like uh, word because it's not really supposed to be pegged. You know, I that agree. was never the guarantee. It's it's more like a bond, right? And the fact that it ever traded one to one is kind of uh, like fascinating from like a financial perspective, <laughs> right? Because it's it just has less utility than ETH. Like it, that's just a fact, right? So, but um, but uh, but yeah. So I think like that kind of like spurred us thinking about this, and then obviously like I think. A big thing at Frax is kind of like we actually care about decentralization and, and transparency and stuff. So we were sort of like, and again, like everyone was saying this, like Lido has such a dominance. And and, um, and so it kind of just felt like the obvious next step. Um, there's also a lot of interesting things you can do with, with uh, you know, wrapped era, like staked ETH is essentially a risk-free rate kind of internally. And, and so it just felt like that was the next primitive that we were going to need. And so we started doing research uh, as a team internally, and, and um, two of the guys, uh, uh, who is it, Justin and Jack, I really hope that I got the, you know, those are the guys who are working on it. But um, but uh, uh, if there's anyone else working on it, I'm sorry if I missed you. <laughs> um, but I think they're heading it up. But they've there's been only making six a lot other of good guys. <laughs> I know, guys. right? So <laughs> I don't, uh, no, I'm, I'm 99% sure it's, it's yeah. those two. But, um, <clears throat> but no, it's a... Uh, yeah, I think it just kind of felt like the next piece of the ecosystem and something that we wanted to have, you know, control over. And, and you know, we're always thinking about ways that we can generate yield for for, for FXS holders and, and kind of um, and just like fit into the financial ecosystem and, you know, have like Frax kind of be the, the undercurrent of it all. So so I think it felt like the next steps. We started the research. I think we have like a beacon chain. We just got it like started doing proposals. We've earned some ETH, right? Um, that's kind of the status. Uh, obviously, it's a ways away from from uh from launching but i think it's it's uh or maybe it's not i don't know but uh but um yeah i think it like it like, made a lot of sense for us and just kind of felt like the the next step um also obviously like having a real competitor with with uh lido i think is important for the health of the ecosystem and and then i think it, it felt really clairvoyant when the steeth you know all the steeth liquidity stuff kind of started mm -hmm. to, to come come through and and you know i think a lot about the fact that the Steeth ETH pool was a stable pool when it really shouldn't have been. I mean, that saved a lot of people, right? Um, because otherwise the price would have been moving much more as it probably should have. But yeah, um, it's really more, like we said, more of a bond. Yeah, I never thought they should be one-to-one -one either. I never understood why, because there's, like you said, I, it's a bond. They're too like- And I don't think Lido even ever says that. You know, they've never made a claim like, mm -hmm. we're yeah. gonna stabilize the pool or any of that kind of stuff, you know? So was, I think- It was just easier for people to lever up. <laughs> and tear all over again. Yeah, and I think, you know, in the middle of a bull market, it feels like you're never gonna so, have any trouble. So yeah. why not earn the yield, right? Yeah. Like it's a, uh, it's um, 
it's funny how quickly you forget about the bear markets. I uh, actually, I I uh, have been kind of jokingly wait, been waiting. Like, man, I wish we had a bear market again. Like, it's so much more fun. Be careful you know? what you wish for. But uh, but yeah, it's it's like I didn't. I, you know, then it was happening, and I was like, oh, on second thought, maybe not. But but now look at me. I, I actually. Then it's like a little. Work. I do actually like the bear markets the best. Yeah. It's like the conferences are better. Uh, it's a lot more fun. You know, the, the real real people stay behind, and uh, there's not like so many scams. I don't have to be like telling my mom to stop buying shit coins on Coinbase. You know, <laughs> it's like that's a top signal. My my mom was like, you know, it would be fun. This was like last Christmas before like that little mini crash. Like, what if I give you guys each five hundred dollars and you guys invested in Coinbase, like, and, you know, and then we oh. compare it at Christmas? <laughs> I, that was a, a clear top signal. I was like, "Mom, it's this like is not what you, like." Don't don't use the word invest. That's not what's happening here. <laughs> it's like a mini pet peeve of mine, actually. No, I anyway. I agree. I hate when people like ask me about price. That's the biggest pet peeve of mine. I always when they ask me about it, I just say I have no opinion. I gave no, no. I, yeah. yeah. I, I literally, I was at a party the other day and someone asked me and I said, look, anyone who tells you, gives you any advice is lying to you. Yeah. So no one has any idea what's going like, on. Even like people like as yeah. deep in it as us, like we don't know what's going to happen. Like no, in like a no month from now, like the narratives that's going to take over. Anybody who has like, who, who tries to even like, if you look at the data, even on like hedge funds, right? Like very rarely do hedge funds perform well year after year. Right? It's mostly luck, right? If you look at like the top 10, it's very mm -hmm. rarely the yep. same top 10 the next year. Like there's a few, like especially, yeah. So it's, it's, you know, no one really knows. There's a few exceptions. I think Bridgewater, Warren Buffett. But again, those aren't really fair to compare for a variety of reasons. But anyway. Yeah. And, and just to add on to that, like the upper echelon, like Buffett, like I heard his, um, year over year return was only 20% annual on average, which is astronomically I mean, high, yeah, that's really right. High, and but... then, yeah, and, and then com compare that to what we see in crypto where everyone is up like, you know, a thousand percent, two thousand percent. And then you think that is sustainable? Yeah. Like the greatest, the GOAT of all time does 20, 20 and, you, and think you think you can rock around with 2000? I, I, I always, my, one of my like pet peeves is kind of like regular people asking me investment just general investment but also like talking about their investments and it's like what's your sharp ratio like what's your risk adjusted return if you don't even know that like i guarantee you it's not that good like it's it's easy to be up when the entire market's up and like it's uh everyone thinks they're like a stock picking genius but you know it's like the the, the bear markets where like mm -hmm. the you know you separate the weak from the strong in terms of investing i think especially it's it's always easier to take on more risk and like juice your returns in a in a bowl right but yeah. how do you how do you fare between the ups and downs is really the real test but anyway mm -hmm. i think dave and i on, on this pod we always say like this the success case for frags looks like when all the debt in DeFi is denominated in frags and that's why we were so bullish 100%. on Fraxland. It's like that is yeah. an absolutely a direction yeah. in the right path. And I actually think that we, that's like a really, I always kind of say like, I want Frax to be the petrodollar of DeFi. Ooh, you know, I like, like that. this, this is the, yeah, I, I mean, look, that's, that's what I want. That's what I believe. And that's what I'm like building towards ultimately. Like that's my vision, right? I want it to be kind of the, like the juice for the whole system. Um, even if you don't see it necessarily, like that's kind of what's, what's happening. And I think we're in a really good position, right? 
you know, we just spoke about like the bear kind of separating the weak from the strong. You know, like we're like the only <laughs> stablecoin left. I think us and Dai, and and obviously Dai has a very different uh, mechanism than than what Frax does. Um, so, you know, part of the game is just surviving the downturns, and you have to not get greedy on the upside, not build systems that are too reflexive, and um, yeah, you're gonna give up some some like returns in the in the the bull but you'll survive and i think half the battle in DeFi is surviving right i talk about this a lot uh with like security stuff it's like there's so many times where i'm like "Ooh, i could add this it would be sick and i'm like no 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 no, no, you gotta hold back no 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 (laughs) like this is not like have you have you like spent like two days thinking about like every single implication of what's going to happen or what could happen if you do that no, then all right, then don't do it. You know, it's funny. Uh, we were having an internal conversation about transfer versus call recently. And this is one of those things that's like, yeah, use call because like, what's the big deal? And uh, I think I think it was the Rari hack recently, the most recent Rari one, where if they had, they, they actually, after the audit, swapped out transfer for call. Yeah. And I really apologize if this wasn't Rari. But, um, no, that but, was, yeah. It was, right? Yeah. yeah, they swapped out. And like, that's such an innocuous thing. You think you're like, yeah, this is the best practice. Everyone says use call. But you didn't, you know, you didn't think through every single application. And, and, it's, and it's one of those things, too, where you're, you easily think to yourself, no, no, I know how this system's going to perform, so it's fine. Um, and then you know, something like that prevents the hack, and you don't, you don't realize it. So, so I, I'm very, I've had a lot of like, moments after our audit where I like, wanted to change something. Uh, I'm like, ooh, I could, you know, and cap- I could like, you know, reduce some code reuse. And I'm, no, no, hold back, don't do it. You know, like, uh, yeah, just because it's, it's, I, yeah, like I said, surviving is half the battle here, and, and it's like these are people. This is like real people's money too. It's, it's like it's easy to be like, oh, I want my code to be more elegant or more gas efficient and stuff, but it's like it's a it's a much different beast than than Web two and stuff. You know. Yeah, and I think Frax is like you said, like Frax's ethos of being a hundred percent on chain, having all the reserves transparent, and on top of that, building public goods that not just Frax can utilize because they need them, but other people can utilize as well. It's this very um, positive sum, positive growth mindset, and you know something that I think the rest of DeFi can look to as Frax grows. I hope so. You know, I really hope so. I think that we have a good, a good like mindset, a good ethos. Yeah. And, and um, and I hope that, yeah. I mean, I hope other people look towards it. I hope that people find it valuable. It's, it's like, yeah. it's a little bit. This is probably my first time having something so publicly, uh, sort of like scrutinized that I have produced. So hopefully, people yeah. have good things to and say. There's so many times like trends come and go, like people come and characters come and go, um, memes come and go, like protocols and come and go, but like. Through it all, like especially over the past two years, Frax has been heads down building eye on the prize, knowing what like the larger goal of building in uh blockchain and web three and DeFi is, which is like building like a whole new financial not just financial system, but just ways that people can coordinate with each other, you know, more efficiently and without uh traditional intermediaries. Yeah, I think like that's one of the things that we definitely believe is like if you build good products um that people will kind of use like you know there's no marketers on team everyone's an engineer i love that i love that the new marketing marketing uh, i am such a fan let your work speak for itself it's like (laughs) yeah i think that's right i think um you know everyone's coder everybody is like you know deep in the math and the economics of stuff and and um you know 
Steve Jobs has like a really interesting talk about this, how when you have engineers driving the business, um, the decisions that get made versus over time, I think a lot, of, a lot of times salespeople become the profit drivers and then they get promoted to management and then it changes sort of the feel of an organization. Um, he said it much more eloquently than I did, but I, I think that's true, right? There is something to be said for the people who are kind of uh, making the big decisions being engineers. Um, yeah. Not, not always like the greatest. I don't, I don't mean to say there's no value to other types of mm-hmm. you know, people, but, but I do think that especially at this stage, something early, uh, there is a lot of value in, in that. What are your thoughts on Frax's no marketing and, marketing? Um, I think, I think it's great I, on, <laughs> on one level. I, I think that um, I do, th- I do find value in marketing in general. I think sometimes there, and we've talked about this as a team, so it's like nothing that big of a secret, but yeah. sometimes, you know, people like will be like, Oh, like, have you seen this TWAM thing? And it's like, yeah, we had one launched for like three months. You know, we were the first ones and like people don't know, which I kind of doesn't, isn't always, you know, great. So I think, you know, we've talked about being a little bit more uh, like kind of tooting our own horns, if you will, on Twitter and stuff and like making sure we're, we're driving publicity to the things that we build. But I think it's, it's also like, it's also a huge advantage, right? I, I saw an analysis recently on Twitter that like maker is like, you know, like not technically profitable, because they have like so much staff, you know, um, <clears throat> which that's one, that's like probably our biggest competitive advantage is that like, we are profitable. Stable like, team profitable six. Now we're profitable in the bull market, like real profits, not like a mission pseudo kind of stuff. And so I think in that, in that sense, that's really powerful. And having a lean team in the bull markets really, really helpful. I was talking to a friend of mine, a web three founder and kind of, uh, as like the bull market entered and he was like, fuck, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to do. And like, actually you do know what to do, which is like, you have to cut your costs, <laughs> like extend your runway yeah. and, you know, build a little slower, but like keep building. But like, you know, that's a difficult thing to do. Firing people sucks, Yeah, you know, or letting people go is really what it is. Like, mm-hmm. It's not technically firing them, but, but, um, but like, you know, that sucks. That's really hard to do. It's bad for team morale. People start to leave. So I think, you know, on the one hand, did we lose out a little bit um, maybe on some marketing that we maybe like if we had hired some marketers or something potentially, but at the same time, I think it goes a lot it yeah. goes along with our ethos, right? Which is like, there is no fat at Frax, right? Like everybody is there building actual stuff. There's no like, uh, you know, there's no like SGNA if you're like an accountant, right? It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all just cost of goods sold. So it's like, it's, um, it's in that sense, I think, uh, powerful and also it does kind of give a vibe right like when you are coming along and you're finding out about fracks and you find out that kind of stuff i think it's it means something to people and also um on the flip side of that like when you see like sketchy marketing campaigns from people you're like what the fuck right or or like (laughs) or or kind of like um superficial marketing uh it's sort of like gives you a bad taste in your mouth so i think that you know sticking to that kind of lean um, mindset is super helpful. Yeah. Just like it, it gives us a good, um, feeling in the, in the space. And also, uh, it's helpful in a, in a, in a bear. I agree. Like, uh, and I actually, um, I just want to say this quick thing. I, I think it actually leads to the ethos of decentralization because you guys focus on the building and you have the community which is kind of like us, the Fraximalists, kind of come in and deliver on that <laughs> other yeah. side of like the SGNA marketing, right? Because 
ideally all of us want Frax to flourish. And then obviously on the marketing end, there still needs some support, right? There still needs some love there yeah. and to kind of tweak yeah. you guys as important for you. Yeah. I feel it's important. Yeah, like, yeah, and I, I, you know what? Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just going to echo it. And, and, uh, and, okay. Yeah. So. I, like, you know, this, this podcast is literally funded with a Frax grant. So it's not like Frax is like, oh, like no marketing whatsoever. It just has to be done in like a very specific kind of way that is in line with the ethos. And, you know, the, what I notice more and more when doing this podcast and when coming out in content, with content is like how much like depth there is to Frax, like how deep you can go with like every little thing, like whether it's like we, we're just having a whole episode on Fraxland. And like before you can do an episode on the history of stable coins and you can do an episode with researchers like it's so dense and so rich that it really speaks for itself. And just like a matter of getting an amplifier, which is flywheel right now to get the word out about it. And it also attracts different types yeah. of people, right? The truth is when you're getting like ads for anchor, you know, on Instagram or something, <laughs> the type of users are, are different and the type of people who hold, who hold Luna mm -hmm. are different. Yeah. And I think that, and the type of people that hold FXS are kind of DeFi natives because how else did they hear about it, sort of? Yeah, like um, I, it I, wasn't in like a Bay ad campaign. There was right. no Twitter stuff. Like we weren't paying for as, podcasts or influencers. Yeah. As someone that has uh, ran a few meetups, some of the first Fraxless meetups, I can tell you first and foremost, like the people that show up there, like they've they've found it through their research. They're you know they found it because they were like digging like what's actually real, what's actually like being built um the people that i've met at the meetups like i so far i've had two one in amsterdam one in new york i'm gonna have another one in paris here but you know very intelligent very diligent uh, and also very long-term minded like they know that frax is something that's here to stay long term and it's sometimes it's very hard to have a time like that kind of time scale when everything is so fast and people have this kind of mindset of instant gratification but with frax i think like that's like a core ethos of like you know we're building first long-term, like not through the bulls and bears, you know, we're going to rise. Definitely. It was funny. Uh, when I was interviewing with Frax, I, uh, had a bunch of other offers actually. And as I went to go tell them like, Oh, I'm not, I can't take your offer. I'm so sorry. They were like, Oh, Frax. Like, Oh, I'm like, I love FXS. Like I believe in Frax so much. Like they're so cool. Like, okay, I get it. Like there's, you know, like I understand, you know, why yeah. not. <laughs> which was like really actually kind of a, it was, it made Validating. me feel really good about my decision, number one. But, um, you know, these were people that are like mm -hmm. the head of their own protocols. So they, they were very much like in tune and, um, and they, and like they had super high conviction. They were like, I love Frax. Like it's, it's really, you know, so, so that's, uh, you know, those are the kind of people that you, you, um, accumulate when you don't have marketing basically. <laughs> yeah. Not that there's none, but as we've discussed, yeah. but, when it's that type of like, it's, mm. it's organic. It's like, it's actual people who care about the ecosystem, who are the ones who are shouting from the bullhorns, not people who are getting paid. Everybody, sorry to jump in, but I had a question that I wanted to ask Drake before we move on. One of the things that made Luna such a marketing beast was the fact that it provided Anchor, where you could just take UST itself and singly deposit that into Anchor and then earn a 20% yield. And I know this is a very powerful marketing tool because there was entire companies that were being built 
uh, these like neobanks where uh, they would provide all the banking services that you wanted, except if you wanted a like a high yield savings account, they would take your USDC or your cash or dollars or whatever, and then swap it into UST and put it in Anchor and and get a, a yield. So I know that the yields in UST were or at least in Anchor were were always unsustainable. You were never going to be able to keep that twenty percent up forever. Um, and of course, you know, Luna did come in and crash, but is a, is this kind of saving, let's just call it a savings account, uh, quasi savings account, which is what anchor was. Um, is there anything like that in the product roadmap for Frax and what would that look like? Um, yeah, I think that this is a topic that we discuss, uh, have been discussing internally, um, almost like a money market account, right? Something that's like put into like a bunch of like short-term treasuries or things like that. I think that, um, yes, in the long run, that that is on the roadmap. I don't know that it's something that we're prioritizing per se. I think that we're okay. And again, this is kind of my perception. Don't take this as like Frax gospel or anything. But I think that it's we're okay for the moment to not have that kind of like unsophisticated, just drop it in and earn your high yield. Not just because like there's no such thing as free, as free lunch. Um, you know, unlike actual money market accounts or even like a savings account and stuff like there's a lot of the the dynamics are a little bit different in DeFi, right so if you think about because a, a lot of times people i think we're kind of like a mixture between a central bank like a traditional bank maybe like a, a, f a foreign country like with a with a sovereign peg things like that right so but you know the the incentives are a little bit different for people right so if you look at like a bank you have to have a big advantage of the bank is like the storage, like let alone for anything else, right? You do get a yield in theory, like it's basically zero now, but you get a huge amount of utility from the security and a place to store your 100K, right? You don't get that in DeFi, right? So people that, are, it's just the yield. So um, at some point, I think people will, will share some of that yield with Frax holders. Uh, so it's there is a lot of talk in the community um, and uh, we've, you know, considered these things internally of like, how do you incentivize people to hold fracks um, beyond uh, just, uh, you know, usefulness? So, you know, one thing, and there was a big thread someone wrote recently, which they kind of missed some of the, the, the points about fracks, but where they said like, oh, we should have a staking product where you take uh, your fracks and you can stake it and earn part of the yield. And, and um, I think... I think we're on that same uh, mindset, except we're, we're looking at it more of like as bonds. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about bonds earlier, fixed maturity stuff. So um, basically, because truthfully, like a pure liquid, like a money market account, like doesn't really make sense for for us, really. I think like we, what mm -hmm. is a, a much more advantageous is something a little bit longer, three months, like a year kind of maturity where we can take that, um, what's essentially now locked, uh, liquidity and put it to work in something that has um, uh, it can't be like instantly withdrawn, right? So, like I said before, all of our all of yeah. our assets are like instantly convertible back to USDC, and so that limits what we can do. And and obviously we do that because we keep safety and kind of like uh, as a priority, um, but it does limit the places you can get yield. So, uh, I think that we will launch a bond product. Some mm. alpha, I guess, but um, the timeline mm. is is a little bit a ways away. But but that kind of concept of like know, yeah, right. locking Vons up some fraxed. Yeah, Vons has been the pipeline since the beginning of Frax, I swear. <laughs> uh, another yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, we're getting uh, close. I, I don't know. I, I, I haven't been there mm-hmm. since the beginning, but uh, we've made progress since I joined. How's that? <laughs> nice. There's one more thing I wanted mm-hmm. to ask, and it was you know something I've been discussing with other people, which is uh, protections for loans on Fraxland. Um, I'm wondering, did you get to read the the like the little conversation in one of our group chats last night uh, about like derivatives and stuff? That derivatives. I, that... I did. I didn't yeah. get a look, gradient right. I didn't yeah. look them up, um, but I did kind of see what they were. I, I I saw the chat. Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts on basically loan protection via these derivatives? I mean, I think it's a great adding to the ecosystem. I mean, we have. Uh, you know, the risk of bad, of bad debts kind of like has to get priced in. But I think the points that they were making about it's difficult for people to actually price in this stuff. They have a hard time um, yeah. doing that, I think was actually right on point. Right. So there's a lot of, um, you know, when you learn about investing uh, in school, like oh, at least for me at Vanderbilt, like the first class was literally about like all of the psychological flaws of human beings, like <laughs> why they suck basically at gambling and at investing, right? And like one of the things that's like, and everyone knows this, right? Like they have a very hard time assessing the probability of rare events, right? This is well known. This is why you use math and not your instinct. Um, but uh, so that was kind of the point they were making. They were like, look, lenders don't price this in because it's essentially like a, it's, it's too rare of an event for them to actually assess with their, you know, like instincts. So we can provide a model for, um, you can use Black-Scholes, which is like a very, you know, well-understood and, and well-researched model for sort of mm-hmm. pricing out these these events. And it's right. And I think that's right. I think that's really helpful. And I think it's funny because so much of what you know about finance and economics and all the all this stuff, all the theory and, and kind of precipitates on a pretty big market, right? There has to be like a pretty high level of market efficiency, which... You just don't always have actually in, <laughs> in DeFi, right? Like I know we it's like we think it's so big, but it's actually like tiny. You think about like traditional like debt yeah. markets. So a lot of these products that work just because the market's efficient and competitive, they don't work that way in in DeFi, right? Because there's just not enough sophisticated people um, running these these programs. And so I think anytime you can provide an easy avenue to use some of that sophistication to price things properly is really helpful. Um, you know, even like the bond stuff, like one of my big concerns actually is that, is there enough demand for that market to be efficient? Right. Because if, if it's inefficient, there's not enough demand, like we're paying yield for nothing, essentially people are just like getting it. And then that's like bad for the protocol. Um, and normally if you were a bank, you could kind of just like issue a product and understand that the market would price it somewhat efficiently. You don't really get those guarantees in DeFi. So, so I think anytime you can kind of bring, uh, an easier path for people to to slice up the individual parts of the risk and then price them appropriately leads to more efficiency, which is just just better for everybody. Um, so I, I think it's a great idea. Well, I feel like basically, and I'm I'm really you know happy to see people developing things like that. I just wanted to quickly uh, double back on the Frax land and the single sided staking for Frax because in in my mind I had imagined that there could easily be a yield aggregator where a person can just put up their single-sided fracks into this urine-like product that just siphon through each of the individual isolated pairs on fracks lend that's paired with fracks and then just kind of do a um you know uh, uh yielding from that perspective yeah and that's part of the reason why we were like kind of amped on this whole uh tokenized vault standard is that you know people can build that mm-hmm. right so so we definitely encourage like people to build like 
pick and shovel type stuff around the Frax ecosystem. Um, so I think like pitch money is like one of like hell yeah, ones, like famous ones, right? I think. <laughs> so if that's like a great idea, and you should build mm-hmm. that, build a yield aggregator where you select the like the ten you know pools that you think are good, and then uh, people just deposit the Frax. You put it into each of those and hold the tokens. I think like that's one of the things that the ERC four six two six standard really makes possible um, is this contract to contract consumption of these things. So many times, mm-hmm. and I don't know if people really know how this works, but people design contracts and they don't think about the fact that another contract might be the one interacting with this, and so they don't return useful information from function mm-hmm. calls or things like that. I was trying to build. Actually, one of the things I built when I was interviewing with Frax was an AMO for, on top of uh, NFT Phi, I think. Mm. And it was like, basically, the mm. way that they had built their contracts made it impossible for me to consume the data properly from another contract. Mm. Uh, because some of the information that I needed to come out of like uh, those function calls, like the ID of like the actual loan agreement, like didn't come back to the contract. So I had no way of like actually building on top. So I ended up like for the assignment, I modified their contracts to be like more friendly to be consumed by other contracts. But, but that, that's like part of the big value of, you know, these EIPs is that they make um, these products consumable by other smart contracts, not just by uh, individuals who can read events, right? Because you can read events and get all, a lot of the information that way, or you can pre-compute some values, right? But uh, if you don't, have that data accessible to a contract, then you can't actually do these things and it, it makes it a lot harder to build on top of. So, so I hope people do what you just said, which is like build this kind of yield aggregator. It can be a pool of loans. Um, yeah. These standards make the money Legos click. They really do. They really mm-hmm. do. And open Zeppelin too. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say like yeah. the, the, uh, the, the, the Legos are great. The EIPs are great. Um, but you know, people who open source their implementations are also really great and they deserve a lot of credit because, wow. you know, shout out open source. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, true. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Without that kind of stuff, like I always hard. thought it was like, you know, I just want to say, I always thought it was when you're in DeFi, it's insta default interoperability and composability. But from today I learned that the devs actually have to make it. The devs need to do something. Interrupt and <laughs> compo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's true, and like, oh. it's like um, it's actually. Oh. I've tried to design Fraxland in that way. Like the even the the external functions return useful information, so it can be consumed by the contract stuff like that. So, yeah, you do have to take some steps. Otherwise, um, it's only usable really by like an EOA or something. Um, and and mm. a great example of this is like in Frax, like the interest. Um, uh-huh. If you like each block more interest accrues, right? So like you can imagine if you were trying to like pay off your entire debt, each block there's a little bit more debt you have to pay off because the interest is accruing. So you have to be able to pre-compute that. If you want to pay it off with another contract, you uh, you have to be able to pre-compute um. what the interest is going to be in this block, so I can pay back what I owe plus the interest that's accruing in this block. So if you don't have tools like that, um, and that's one of the things that yet they have in in the ERC four six two six is like this they call it like preview. But a preview is what you'll have to pay. And so um, that's just like a little example. But there's like hundreds of those examples that if you're not thoughtful about, uh, you can't, you're not composable, which sucks, you know. Wow, man, I'm so excited to see this Fraxland UI. Because in my mind, I can see it just being crazily complicated. It's, uh, like it's, it's so... Like a, a, 
pilot's dashboard. It's, uh, it's kind of complicated, but it's actually it looks very simple. But uh, nothing in re- well, we, we use React, mm-hmm. but nothing in React is really simple. So uh, it's a lot of little like functionalities, but it's really just uh, it, it does look simple. Hopefully, it's very intuitive and user friendly. So Drake, I wanted to d- dive into the other chains and L2s for Frax, right? Like our Frax land and all the other product like fully on the l2s and other chains right now yeah so i think frax has always had a very uh l2 focused um mindset so we do have a lot of basically the short answer is yes it's coming um there are a lot of different uh i think we'll see some consolidation unfortunately on the l in the l2 space during the bear but yeah 100 percent. i think um we have plans to expand uh beyond mainnet to to pretty much any EVM compatible L2, where you we think a, there's demand. Do you have a timeline for Frax chain or Frax rollup? Uh, <laughs> you joke about that, but we are doing a lot of when research right now into bridges. Um, mm-hmm. You know, bridge bridges are hard. Bridges. I feel are like bridges like can be a whole a episode in, in itself, honestly. And um, yeah, we've been doing internally a lot of like just research amongst ourselves about like how to implement bridges and what we can do there. And I think, I think uh, it's probably a little bit out of Frax's immediate scope to be mm-hmm. trying to build a bridge. And I don't think that would be something that we would ever like make universal just because the higher the bridge, like kind of TVL, the bigger honeypot it becomes. Yeah. Um, and there's always kind of, it's, it's, it's difficult. Like bridges are, is a, is a difficult it's thing hard. to solve in a yeah. decentralized way to be really non-custodial. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them are like basically just multi-sigs and then they get like sophisticated nation state, like fishing and eventually, you know, so I don't know if like that's something that we really want to take on in that sense, but something like just bridging Frax is a little bit less complicated. Potential, okay, I, I said less complicated. That's really not fair, but potentially um, not as um, much of a honeypot because uh, you could burn the Frax, right? So you could burn it on L1 and then mint it on L2. Uh, and so now there's not like a, you know, a hundred million fracks just like sitting in the, in the bridge contract waiting for someone to hack. Right. And yeah. so there's things like that, that can, that we have, uh, with fracks that could be a little bit advantageous for us. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, and, and in terms of rollups and stuff, I don't think we're not, there's zero interest or discussion about our own L1 or any of that stuff, which like, I know a lot of the big protocols are like, no, I, yeah, I don't think it, do I, I can imagine it being an L1, but uh, more like I can see Frax being like an L2 or an L3. Yeah, I don't think we've had any discussions about doing that. Um, again, like th- this is technical expertise, which are like they need their own team. Like, <laughs> dozen people to, to build something like that. I just that. need to hire one more person that can be a team like everybody else at Frax. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's sort of it feels like that, but like the truth is, you know, everyone helps me with Fraxland, and I help all that. Yeah. So it's sort of like you have one leader, but eight people on the team, every team. So, but I feel like, uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I, don't I feel think, like everyone I haven't on, heard any discussions. Yeah. I feel like everyone on Frax is like two to three people and one person. Like, I, like the output you guys have, it's insane. It's uh, it's and uh, having to work it, with like multiple with a. a people in the past like whether it's like travis or richard or you know every whoever else sam of course like it's amazing like what you guys like come out with yeah i think we we uh it's it's a really really just like good collection of of people who uh high performers and just like smart and i think that we're we're good at kind of like always working but like you know treating it like a marathon not a sprint you know i don't feel like i'm at risk of burnout 
Um, even though it feels like maybe I'm working all the time, but it's, it's like, I think it's a really unique environment and I would say, you know, really smart people always working and never working internally. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of, it's one of those things where I feel comfortable if I'm like offline for a few hours, but I also like, like I said, I, I wake up, I read the Frax chat, (laughs) respond. And as I'm going to sleep, there's definitely a conversation happening. Right. So, so in that, in that sense, I think it's 24 seven, but it's not like, uh, it's not like an investment banking 24 seven, like you want to die kind of thing. Mm-hmm. No, you want to build, you want to live. Yeah, no, I mean, serious, honestly, like I, yeah. I, I, t- yeah. I tweeted this the other day, like, uh, the, like I'm constantly getting nerd sniped by like our calls because people are talking about these, this cool stuff. And I'm like, oh man, I really want to, what if I, <laughs> that's me the other day, nerd sniped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is nerd sniping for people that don't know? <laughs> so nerd sniping is when, so it's like it's like it's okay like everything I feel like inspired by like an XKCD comic but it's basically this idea of like there are certain people in theory like nerds like smart people who if you give them an interesting problem they can't stop thinking about it. Yeah, so the other day when I tweeted that basically we were talking <laughs> about multi-hop optimization like building an aggregator which is kind of a, it seems like a simple problem because there's a very famous algorithm like Jaikshu's algorithm where you you know connecting nodes in a graph and finding the shortest path, right? So this is kind of a solved problem. The interesting thing with with like um, um, like an aggregator is like it's actually not that problem. Number one, it's not two nodes, but uh, it's kind of a tree. But also like you could split the order, right? So if you're trying to move a million USDC, uh, you might take like twenty thousand here, a hundred thousand there, and suddenly it becomes like a very interesting problem. And I have to focus on Braxland. <laughs> but it was like literally all my concentration to like not sit down and try and like prototype this. And like, you know, I was thinking about this like all day, like, oh, well, if you cash and it's okay. The other thing that's very interesting about it too, is that uh, Unity 3 is very hard to predict um, the price for a given trade size beca- with, because there's no like uh, curve, right? It's like, it's like discrete variable. It's a bunch of mini curves. Continuous. Exactly. So you actually have to read the data and look at it to know what it's not like you can just plug in the formula and you produce an output. You actually have to sum over, you know, it's like the manual style integration versus a versus like the nice take a derivative or take an integral. Mm-hmm. Um, but computationally, it's a, it's a pain, um, which also makes everything kind of like harder to think about, too. So anyway, I was just like, oh. but it's true. Like, that's what happens like every single day. Two things. Basically. I'm like, focus, uh, yeah. focus, yeah. focus. Yeah. Two things. One, uh, I think I sent you this. Uh, Bungie is a multi, is like a bridge aggregator. I think you would be interested in. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you after. And two, I have a story of me getting nerd sniped last week. You're gonna love this. So I was re- I was in Lisbon and like that. You know how Bology came out with uh, the network state book. Yeah, yeah. So we're I we're was... doing a Frax reading group actually and reading it. Oh, <laughs> awesome. Okay, you're gonna love this then. Yeah. Um, so I was reading it. I listened to the whole Tim Ferriss podcast. And in the middle of me reading it, my friend sends me a message. She was like, hey, I saw you're in Lisbon. If you get the chance, you should go to Tomar. Uh, this is where the Knights Templar went to found Portugal as the first nation state. And I, I immediately dropped whatever I was doing. It was like 2 a.m. I'm just like, I'm going to Tomar. And I'm going to like listen and read as much information about the Knights Templar and Tomar as possible. <laughs> and I basically. Nice. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. and I, I literally, like, bought a bus ticket, like, the next, like, eight eight hours later. It was on my way, and I, like, went up to, to, to like, the, the covenant where the Templars were seeking out. And, like, I'm basically going to write a whole article about, like, the basic comparative study between, like, 
the Templars and the Cistercian monks like founding like a nation state and like doing comparing it to the network state that's been proposed as like this framework biology. Um, and that's so, awesome. Yes, and exactly. I'm happy. I'm happy you guys are going to do this group reading. Um, I was yeah. nerd type, so it, like it took all my attention for the past few days. Um, and yeah. there's been like and other tidbits from the story that I'll share with you after the call after this yeah. interview. But it was it was definitely a really powerful experience. Yeah. yeah. No, it's like, and some things are just like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they just, you can't stop thinking it's about so it. It's so much fun getting nerd snipes like that because it just was like, I lit, it, it just yeah. like, it led me on this like little adventure, this little side quest in this like random yeah. town in like the Portuguese countryside. It's just like yeah, so interesting, yeah. like being there, being away from everything, just people going about their daily lives. It's like, damn, people have been living like this for hundreds of years. And people have been coming to this covenant for like hundreds of years. That's the cool thing about Europe, actually. Yeah. I, uh, I live the summer in Amsterdam and it's like, you know, I, I'm American, right? So, like, the oldest thing is Harvard, which is, like, 250 years old, right? Like, it's the oldest thing in the whole country. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, and it's, like, amazing to be in Amsterdam, like, a city that was, like, alive and, like, a, a, a an important city even in, like, the year 1000, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, it's crazy to be in a place that's, like, existed. Like, these rivers yeah. have been here for thousands of years. There's, like, something really powerful whenever I go to Europe, that feeling of just, like, this is old. Yeah, and just like the culture of Europe's different, just it's humbling for sure. It's, yeah, it's a different pace of life. Um, totally, yeah. I actually think that traveling is that's that was how I felt when go ahead. I just want to say that's how I felt when I went to China to go into the uh Forbidden Kingdom oh, and stepping on those cobblestones, and I was like, oh, damn, this has been here for like thousands totally. of years, yeah. and like you know, it's just... I, I think the traveling is so important for people i i went to the great wall when i was uh in in high school with my my grandparents and um and it yeah there's something crazy about just like uh seeing different cultures and like understanding that it's easy to feel i think growing up and, and i think maybe this is probably how everyone feels when they're growing up that like the way of life that that your community your country does is like the way the best way or or like the the, the only, only way, way. Yeah. and then you <laughs> you move somewhere else and it's like nah it's not, it doesn't have to be like everyone still like gets up in the morning they go to work they you know they eat their food they you know they get married they have kids like life goes on and they do it completely differently and you know when i when i lived in europe that was definitely something that was just like wait everything still works fine like okay you know yeah. <laughs> and then i think it being in china like other places it's 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 something really important, I think, that kind of like broadens your your mind a little bit to just kind of be like, uh, the concept of best or like is is really a nuanced concept, I think, especially culturally. It's and a subjective stuff, which concept, is super comp yeah. complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. So, normally at the end of these pods, we like to do a you know round of lightning questions. So I'm just going to fire them at All you. Right. Are they like just, yes, just no, or me, okay? just whatever I think? Yeah, just whatever okay. you think. It's sure. free balling. All right. So first question is, um, what was your virgin crypto experience? When did you first touch the chain? Well, touching the chain in crypto is a little bit different. I got into, um, I would say really probably when I started mining Ethereum, which was like 2016. Uh, and everyone was like, oh, you're an idiot because the merge is going to be here in three months. And Ether was, two <laughs> Ether was 250. Ether was 250. So this is funny. I had just gotten a big bonus from 
like my private equity stuff, you know? And I was like, oh, how do I reduce my tax burden? I was like, oh, I'll start an LLC. I'll spend a bunch of money on mining equipment, reduce my taxes. And even if I only break even, it's fine because I did a bunch of like, tax sort of like sheltering. Um, anyway, I remember Ether was 250 because the cost of like new GPUs was about 250, 300. So I was like, okay, all I need to do is like one Ether. And then, um, so that was probably like the first. Got it. And then what do you like to do uh, as a hobby? Uh, I'm really into like weightlifting. I would say uh, I like to build stuff. I'm kind of just like a builder in general. Um, also, I know this is kind of lame, but uh, I like to code. I don't know. I feel like weightlifting. Honestly, like sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Weightlifting is definitely a frax thing. Yeah, but weightlifting is like the core fra frax ethos. Like everybody is at the gym. Everyone is lifting and getting their gains I, up. Uh, it was actually funny. I, uh, I know. That's like when I was interviewing... <laughs> I had just tore my pec uh, bench pressing. And I didn't realize it, but that definitely probably helped me get the job. No, <laughs> I did tear my pec. That is true. And I was talking about it with Sam, but I don't think he cared. <laughs> also, because Sam is on like a different level the, the, the of last powerlifting than, than me. Mm -hmm. but. Yeah, that's, that's all about the stable, uh, stable, stable team, team six. Fight, right? <laughs> you know, everybody, <laughs> everybody lifting. And last question is... Um, what do you normally consume um, on a regular basis in terms of content? Like, do you read a book? Do you must the listen to a chat. podcast? Do you have songs you must listen so, to? So <laughs> I consume the Frax Chat, yes, which is a very good source of, uh, of information. Um, I also consume the same food every single day, which is nice. Uh, I'm like a very like regimented, weird eater, um, which is what I thought you were asking me at first. But uh, no, but mm -hmm. I think um, I, I, a lot of it's on Twitter. Uh, I read, uh, I try to read books, actually. I think like that's sort of underrated. Um, I concur. Especially with coding and stuff. So uh, I, I read, that's kind of just, I don't really have a good like process for that. It's just kind of like whatever piques my interest. Um, whatever nerd types I you. consume. Yeah, I honestly, it's it's mainly this is like maybe this is good or bad, but like it's I do a lot of like Twitter. Um, I think people really I have like a, what I consider a pretty well curated uh, Twitter. Um, I try to try to like uh, so I, and I read I read a lot of stuff that I see there, yeah. and then uh, I do read a lot of um. Oh, you should definitely get into SciHub, which is basically just like academic journals. I read a lot of academic journals, but that's not really mm -hmm. related to crypto. That's just like. Uh, I'm sort of into to like biohacking, even though I don't love that term. But uh, not enough people go and find the, the, the primary source data, because very often you know you read this stuff about oh some study says X, and then you read the study and it's either very poorly uh, constructed, in which case you should ignore the data, or it actually doesn't say that. You know, <laughs> um, so I think uh, I do read a lot of medical journals. What's too. your diet? That's not really. What did, what do you consume? Yeah, every so yeah, uh, yeah, I'm no, actually curious. just started like kind of uh, a weight gain phase for the winter. Um, so now I'm eating in the morning. I do half a cup of oats, uh, six ounces of skim fair life and a protein like I mix protein powder in and 12 ounces of strawberries. Then for lunch, I'll have eight ounces of salmon with uh, like two cups of cauliflower rice. Mm. And then my second sort of like lunch pre-dinner is uh I make this thing called Monster Mash. I don't, that's what I call it. It's like um, inspired by the vertical diet. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, like Stan Efferding. Anyway, it's basically just like um, half a pound of, I don't eat this all at once, but this is the recipe. Half a pound of uh, ground turkey breast, half a pound of uh, lean beef, uh, eight ounces of spinach, 
uh, what else? A diced onion. It's basically to end like some rice and I'll put some chicken broth. Sometimes I'll roast tomatoes and put over on top of that. But, uh, and then whatever, whatever I do for dinner is kind of like TBD. And then I go to bed with a protein shake and then that's when I'm, when I'm gaining like a weight gain gaining. Yeah. So it's a little extra food. I asked, the only difference I, is I like, I just have I just, less I went rice, keto less like a month ago and, yeah, and a little more experience fat. just being, but learning how to be I, a picky I find eater. That, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think like I, me and my, my fiance are kind of like, and it's really hard to do this just by yourself. Um, but we're really kind of into just like eating healthy food. So it's mm. basically just like nothing processed, just fruits, vegetables, meats, you know, yeah. We're not like super strict with it, but like what I like to do is I like, plan to be kind of perfect and then I can let myself like, I, you know, if I go out to eat like whatever, but, yeah. um, and if I want to have something like unhealthy, that's fine. Oh, I also have been consuming watermelon monster on a daily basis. <laughs> definitely, definitely not, yeah. not good. And I know I shouldn't, but it's like the I one sweet thing. I, other, loved, I mean, other than fruit, but yeah, I love Java monsters. Like, I mean, when I was like really like going ham with sugar, when I was like driving across the country almost two years ago, like the thing that would keep me like keep me awake when I would drive like eight hours at a time would be these Java monsters. I would just like drink these while like listening to lo-fi driving through the night. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I am embarrassed to say, so I, I generally try not to eat sugar. Like it's bad for you, you know, it, yeah. that's not like a secret. So I, the watermelon monster is sugar-free, which oh. I understand the irony. I understand the irony of like, you're drinking 16 ounces of soda and you're like talking about health. I get it. <laughs> but I still think that the diet's slightly better for you than the sugar. And, uh, I was really trying to get a six pack for the summer, but I only got a four pack. So whatever. Time to gain. And not, time. Now it's time. It, it is. Time though, you know, I, 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 uh, it's time to it, literally it's time to run it back. I'm actually pretty excited. Cause like, you know, you get stronger. It's like a little bit more fun in the gym. This is actually the best time because you're, you're like your, your muscles start to fill up again with like carbs, but you're still low body fat. So you look, this is like this, like next three weeks is like, I'll look the best. And then after that, I'll start to get fat, fatter, not <laughs> fat, but you know, you get husky. Husky's the problem. So I actually, as I've gotten older, I try to keep my body fat just lower in general. I like do more cardio because the thing is, you know, you got to stay healthy. Like as much as I want to just lift weights all day and be jacked and strong, like you 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 have to got it. Listen, the fiance has me going to Pilates every, you know, every few days, Mm -hmm. you got to keep the body weight down, keep the knees healthy, keep the heart healthy all that stuff. Yeah. It was actually really sad. A Mm -hmm. few years ago, I went to the doctor and he called me and he was like, dude, your cholesterol, like, this is not, he's like, this isn't just like, Hey, you need to get your cholesterol down. He's like, this is me calling you personally to tell you to stop eating butter basically. Cause I was eating like, like ribeyes and like sauteing my vegetables and butter. You know, I kind of got into this whole, like, Oh, that's not bad if you're active and it's just bullshit. It's like, it's nice to, to, to tell yourself that for me personally, I don't want to like, it's not, not medical advice, you know, but like. So that's why no, I financial do advice, not medical advice. <laughs> do, do your own research, okay? Do your own research. No, but I, I, I do think that like I, and also especially if you're like eating a lot of food, like I, I will be for the next six months. Like you got to keep your fat down because it, 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 you know, it adds up. So keep the cholesterol in good shape. Keep the heart in good shape because that's really what's going to limit you, most likely. I'm trying to live a long time. You know, it doesn't matter if you're jacked if your heart gives out when you're 65. Like who cares? Yeah. Gotta stay healthy. True. Okay, so 
to summarize the killer diet to be a killer dev is you know salmon cauliflower rice and watermelon yes, literally and honestly yes okay that's all you need that's really all you need i thought for for stablecoin devs it'd be arnold palmer's it would be it would be uh arizona green tea i you know i think each each person on the team has their own little uh so <laughs> sam, sam likes the traditional monsters uh or no, the traditional red bulls Ooh. sorry red bulls oh yeah no he does um, i like the watermelon monsters uh but we had we had a whole i like the watermelon monsters <laughs> uh but we had we had a whole like i i think i won't say who but some people on the team like nicotine <laughs> but we were we were in uh youth denver kind of all talking about like what's our uh our stimulant of choice in moderation we were also discussing in moderation nothing crazy how stable of you guys <laughs> stable team six <laughs> yeah yes awesome yeah i, I you know i'm so stable i eat shirt. the same thing every day i wear the same thing every day you know i literally wear a black v-neck like 80 percent of the days or a blue button down like those are the only two things i ever wear cool well i don't know you know i just like uh i don't know i just like decisions i you know what happened to me what happened was that when i first moved to new york i was working in investment banking and I was working so much and I, and I was like kind of eating variety of food. And then at some point I was like, you know what, I'm just going to eat the same thing. Like I'm tired and you know, I'm not going to worry about it until I get sick of it. <laughs> and I swear to God, I ate chicken tikka masala every <laughs> single day for dinner for like six months. And I love, I still love it by the way, but uh, yeah, I don't know. And then I realized like, actually, I don't care. I'll just eat the same thing every day. And uh, mm. that's what I basically do. It's good. Well, man, this has been a tremendous pod. I love that we covered literally the whole spectrum of topics. Yeah, two hours, bro. Um, this is fun. Yeah. This is a, yeah, I had a great like time, a guys. I had a great time. Sh- yeah. Hopefully people want to listen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they will. They will. All right. Good, good, good. Thanks, Drake. Well, everyone, that was the latest episode of Flywheel Pod. We hope that you enjoyed that and got as much of from that episode as we did. Uh so what did you think of that? <laughs> Man, I think it was just such a great and free-flowing conversation. I felt like yeah. we just dove right in there and we talked about all things from obviously the Fraxlin product in which he leads, but also, you know, who he is as a person, how he thinks about problems. And, you know, I felt like I got, really got to know Drake today. Yeah. Not only uh, can I wait to start the uh, DeFi Day Fractionless pool. And able to take <laughs> FXS collateral finally, or P- pitch FXS collateral, but also like knowing, you know, the effort that in all like the time and all the research and all the building and all the design decisions that went into making Fraxland, um, like everything that went into it, you know, I think like this two hours like did as much justice as possible to it, and um, it's the, a lot of people in our community have been asking us like. When's Fraxland? What's Fraxland? Where's Fraxland? And I hope this podcast answered a lot of those questions. Yeah. And obviously, we're going to have Drake back on when oh, Fraxland 100%. goes, you know, full mode. And then we can Bring talk him on the Fraxcast. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll for sure have him on a Fraxcast. Speaking of, you guys should totally check out our Fraxcast uh, show as well, where we kind of do deep dives on, you know, certain Frax topics that we want to double click on. Yeah. And don't forget to subscribe to us. We're almost at 300 subscribers on YouTube. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Telegram at FlywheelPod. You can follow me on Twitter at DeFiDave22. 
And you can find me at 0x capital underscore K. And we'll see you next time. Peace.